Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Samuel, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. What a joy and what a privilege to sit down in your home every day and just read the Bible. Now, we haven't been reading Psalms and Proverbs because we've been focusing on Psalms 91 and we've been having testimonies and things like that because these are the unique days that we are living in. So let's go to Psalms 91, this great foundation, this platform of faith in the middle of COVID-19 and keep this thing strong in our hearts. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the stem of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings he will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91. <laughs> Amen. Well, I understand I have totally thrilled the dog lovers out there because last night you had the Coco watch going and Coco was walking around during the middle of my time. Um, this morning, she's sitting in the chair next to me, sound asleep. She has not finished her beauty sleep yet. So for all the Coco watchers, Coco is just fine. But it is just, you know, there's a lot of dog lovers out there. And I think you always get my dog illustrations. But let's open up our hearts in prayer to the Lord this morning. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We come boldly before the throne because of your grace, because of the blood that was shed for us. We come before you, Father, and we just call you our Father. <laughs> Father, in this time of Father's Day, when everybody's celebrating their earthly fathers, we never forget that you are our Father, and we bring our hearts to you. And we're grateful for all of your provision, for all of your protection, for all of your care, for all of your, your watching over us. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, I lift you this morning, all of the frontliners. Lord, again, their life is not easy these days. Father, I ask that you watch over them and care for them. And Father, that they won't bring anything home to their families. That's their concern. Nothing will come home. Nothing shall stick to them, Lord. That plague shall not come near their dwelling place. And Lord, you guard them in all their ways. I pray for the frontliners, Lord, that are out delivering food, because they're a frontliner too. They're out taking care of people. They're working in the stores. Father, just keep your hand. We're so grateful, Lord. We're so grateful. Uh, over a thousand deaths, we know, Lord, is every death is a tragedy. But Lord, we're so grateful that we don't see the mass graves that other nations are seeing, how that would wound the soul of our nation. Father, in Jesus' name, just let this thing end over our land. Lord, we thank you that we have been redeemed from it. But Father, we cry out for mercy for our nation now. Mercy for our nation. 
We're so grateful, Lord, that we're not without God and without hope in this world. But, Lord, I look at the 100 million that are. Father, in Jesus' name, we cry out for mercy upon our nation. And, Father, I ask you for laborers into the harvest field. No more pretty little polite talking heads, but men and women of sacrifice. Men and women of sacrifice, Lord, that will go into the highways and byways of our land and start churches. Oh, Father, build permanent things. Permanence can't be built by talking heads. Permanent can't be built by people looking for easy life. Permanence can only be built by sacrifice. Father, raise up a new young generation of young men and young women. Father, that will have sacrifice within their hearts. Young men and young women of ability, Lord. Young men and young women of an anointing. Signs and wonders confirming the word that they preach. And a good word to preach, Father. Not Facebook slogans and dribbles. Father, I ask you to raise up a whole new generation of ministers, not marketeers. Of ministers, Lord, not businessmen, not pastorpreneurs, a whole new generation of preachers, of ministers who will lay down their lives to start and build permanent works across our nation. Father, we cry out in your mercy to heal our nation of this plague and to give us laborers, a whole new generation of laborers, Father, not looking for anything except the joy of ministry who find their joy and find their fulfillment in the salvation of souls. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you for it, Father. Oh, in Jesus' name. Father, for all of our businessmen, for all of our professionals, for all of our daily workers, for all of our jeepney drivers, Lord, for all of our tricycle drivers, Father, give them work today and bless the work of their hands. You gave Adam a job. You created a job before you created Adam. Lord, create work for them. Show them things to do and then bless the work of their hands. Let no child go to bed hungry. Lord, you know that we need all these things. Let them be given good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into the homes of your people. In these days, show distinction, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
We've got a beautiful testimony now. It is amazing how God blesses the work of our hands. Hello, Sophie. I'm Rodeline Callejo from YBD East Campus. Gusto ko lang pong ishare yung goodness ni God sa buhay namin. Bago pa po mag-ECQ, nagtitinda na po ako ng merienda, like kwek-kwek, turon, lumpia, mga ginataan. Then itong nga pong March, nag-announce ng ECQ, Medyo worried po kasi si husband, no work, no pay po siya. Tapos worried po kasi baka walang bumili ng mga paninda ko. But God is good. Uh, binigyan niya po kami ng ideas. Binigyan niya ako ng talent sa pagluluto. 
nagtitinda po kami ng mga sweet drinks, ng grahams, ng mga baked mac, puto, dinideliver ko po sa malalapit. Minsan po naglalakad ako, minsan nagbabike po ako. That is good na pinaprotektahan niya po ako sa araw-araw na paglabas ko. And si husband po, nag-decide po yung company nila na ipadala yung computer niya para po mag-work from home po siya. And God is truly faithful, faithful to His promises. Ayon nga po sa Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Thank you, COP. God bless. I think a whole new generation are beginning to rise up and recognize that unlike other nations, we don't trust in the government to provide for our needs. There are many Christians of other nations that trust in the government. When they lose their job, they put their faith in the government. When they need something, they put their faith in the government. But we have learned here, put your faith in God. As a Christian, the Bible does not say God will provide for all of our needs by giving money to the government. God said, I'll provide for all of your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So please, let us keep our, our mind on the source. For one thing, it stops all the complaining and the griping. But we need to remember our source is not the government. Our source is not our relatives. Our source is God. Now that said, I also want you to salute all of the hardworking men and women You know, I think of one family that I've been praying for a great deal during this whole time because they used to run a fleet of jeepneys. And now I see the wife out delivering things on the motorcycle and advertising on Facebook that she will deliver. And I look at a lot of this and I go, you know what? I've never seen such hardworking people. And I'm proud of you. But young people, you need to salute your moms and dads. They're hustling. They're working hard. And many of you young people, you're beginning to find out some things about yourself you never knew that you could do. Let these days be days of learning. Not, not days of groaning and complaining, but days of learning. You're seeing God's hand of mercy provide. You're seeing God bless the work of your hands. And you're learning some things about yourself. But let's, let's salute all of those hardworking people. Now, you know, many of the professionals... You don't get this much because you you work from home on your computer, and you know that's wonderful, and I'm grateful to God for that. But for people who used to run jeepneys, for people who used to run tricycles, for people who did daily work, for a lot of the construction workers, these have been difficult days, and we've watched God provide, and we've watched hardworking fathers and mothers just do what they need to do, put food on the table for their families, and so we salute you. In Jesus' name, you, you are the people that make not only our nation great, but you make the body of Christ great. So I salute you. But today, and I can see from my screen that you are actively up on the Coco Watch, and I'm sure I will get lots of pictures later on today about Pastor, and they send me all these pictures of Coco walking around. It's better that she's walking around than licking my toes and tickling my feet and chewing on my toes. And those of you who are dog lovers, You know exactly what I mean. <laughs> Some of you are going, yuck. But if you're a dog lover, these are things that you understand. Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 44. They are in Antioch of Poseidon. They're up on top of the Galatian Peninsula. 
and this area that we call Galatia, that Paul wrote the book of Galatians to, all of these great churches up there. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, that's not evangelistically speaking. Almost the whole city heard. Now, put yourself into the season of that day. They've heard all about this Jesus. The synagogues have heard about Jesus. They've heard about his death. They've heard about the rumors of his resurrection, and others say it's not true. They've, they've heard about all the miracles and people raised from the dead and Lazarus and healings in the temple. I mean, they've heard all of this. And now for the first time, they get to hear about it firsthand. So yeah, the whole city, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. You remember, that was one of the challenges that Jesus faced with the Sanhedrin, the jealousy. Same spirit. They were filled with jealousy. Now, it's really bad when you're filled with jealousy. It's better to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, I make a little note in my Bible. Jealousy brings two things. Jealousy brings contradiction to your words, and jealousy brings reviling. In other words, they're just speaking against you. Now, th those are two things. You can always tell when somebody has a jealous spirit with you. They are contradicting what you say, and they are reviling you. It's very easy to recognize. See, we, we always think, well, you can't tell somebody's heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? Contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas, now notice the order is still changed. Ever since the island of Cyprus, it's no longer Barnabas and Paul, but now it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul has taken the lead in this. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, now remember the definition of eternal life, uh, an experiential relationship and an experiential knowledge of God, the Father and God the Son, you judge yourself unworthy of these encounters with God, these life-changing encounters with God. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, whenever there needs to be a change in ministry, we should not just do something out of reactionaryism. We should look to the Scripture. This is what the Scripture says I should do. All right, so I will begin to focus on the Scripture. Now, first thing I want you to notice, when people try to stop the gospel, the first thing they do is contradict the message. The second thing they do is begin to speak against the messengers. Now we saw contradiction of the words. Now let's continue. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. So the Jews thrust it aside. That's just, they just put it aside. Well, we'll think about this later. They thrust it aside. But now the Gentiles glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Now notice, the word of the Lord was spreading. Not Paul's ministry, not Barnabas's ministry, the word of the Lord was spreading. And I wish I could get that into the heart of every Christian leader today. It is not about growing our ministry. It's about growing the word in an area. Oh, beloved, please. It's not about spreading our ministry. It's not about spreading who we are. It's about spreading the word. 
spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their districts. All right. Stage one, when you're trying to stop the, the gospel is speak against the message. Stage two, you speak against the messengers. Now, notice how they, they, they stirred up persecution. They incited, they motivated, they manipulated devout women of high standing and leading men of the city. See, religion always goes after people of influence. Jesus never did. Jesus just loves people. There is no favoritism with Jesus. This is why there are many styles of connect groups today that I just speak strongly against. Jesus was never after people of influence. Jesus never went after the influential people. In fact, please remember we read, they took note that these were fishermen and ignorant and unlearned men, but they took note they had been with Jesus. Jesus didn't go after influential people. Jesus went after the common tao. He treated everybody the same. He would speak to rich and he would speak to poor equally. He never prioritized anybody. But look at what religion does. Religion goes after women of high standing, leading men in the city. Religion always goes after influence and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Now notice, there's two things you need to know about religion. Religion goes after people of influence and religion uses people of influence. Religion is a user. Whoa, you can hate me for that one if you'd like and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, this is next city down. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So there's no discouragement. There was no discouragement because of the persecution. They were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that should be our response when we are persecuted. Now, I know some of you, you've gotten fired because you're a Christian. You had done nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, but somebody found out you were born again and you got fired. I remember years ago, uh, we won't mention when, but I remember years ago when many of the Catholic schools in the nation threw out children who were born again, who attended Cathedral of Praise or another born again church and threw them out of school. Now, when these things happen, when persecution happens for the word, not because we're foolish and not because we deserve it, but just because of the word. We should never be discouraged. We should rejoice and be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now look at that phrase, spoke in such a way that both Jews and Greeks believed. See, there's different ways to speak. You could speak in a way that only the Jews would hear the message. You could speak in a way that only the Greeks would hear the message. You could speak in a way that nobody would listen to anything you had to say. Let me illustrate. Have you ever been walking around and you heard some guy standing on a street corner yelling hellfire, judgment, brimstone, and damnation at everybody? Have you ever noticed nobody's listening? <laughs> Jesus spoke gracious words. So you have to understand how you present the gospel affects whether people will believe the gospel. Let me say that again. Presentation matters, okay? So you, you don't present the gospel as if, you know, you have 
you are everything. You present the gospel as if the gospel is everything. You present the gospel in a way that people will hear it and receive it. So look at that phrase and highlight it in your Bible. Spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. <laughs> when you can't stop the message, you've got to stop the messenger. Now, keep going and then we'll come back and talk about this. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, I love the Apostle Paul, and I love God. I mean, I just, I look at this and I just smile. There are times when people cannot stop the message because the message rings true in the heart of people. The message is, it, people, is a message of hope, and it rings, it rings true. So they try to stop you from people from listening to the messenger. And the way they stop you from listening to a messenger is they poison your mind against the person. Remember, they started by reviling Paul. So they poison the minds of people. Now, poison is a funny thing. It, it makes you sick. Now, to have a poisoned mind means that you've got a sick mind. It's not functioning well. Have you ever been sick? And I know that's a horrible thing to discuss right now in the middle of COVID-19, but you know how you just felt blah, and you didn't want to listen to anything, and you didn't want to do anything, and you didn't want to listen to anybody? Well, that's like when a mind gets poisoned. Your mind is sick. Now, poison eventually works its way out of the body. The body has a, a beautiful way of purging poison out of the body. It takes a little while, but the body will purge a poison. So what did Paul do? He remained there a long time, speaking boldly. I like Paul. You're going to make people hate me? You're going to make people not want to listen to me? Okay, I'll take a little less fruit right now, but I'm going to stay here a long time. <laughs> See, sometimes when people's minds have been poisoned against you, it takes longer to get something done. And so you just make up your mind, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to leave. I talked with a young pastor one time in the province, and he was very concerned. He said, you know, Pastor Summerall, I went into this barrio, and he said, it's not even a barrio, it's, it's a small city. And he said, I really felt God told me to start a church there. So I went in, and I began to evangelize, and he said, people got healed. He said, two people got healed in the first week, and I started having a crowd of 25 or 30 people, and then 50 people, and then about 100 people, and then all of a sudden, I was back down to 20. And he said, when I went into the marketplaces, people just looked at me and they stared like they were really angry at me. And he said, I didn't know nobody was talking to me. He said, and pastor, it took a while, but I found out that there were some people going around telling everybody I was a homosexual and I had murdered my father. I said, oh, come on. I said, no, pastor. That's what they said about me. And so everybody thought, you know, you murder your father and you're a homosexual. I, I said, well, number one, to be blunt, even if you had been a homosexual and even if you had murdered your father, what a testimony to the grace of God. But he said, no, pastor, it's not true. It's not true. I said, then you have a situation of poisoned minds. I said, now you must make a decision. Will you dust your feet off, as Jesus said, and go to another city? Or will you stay there like Paul did? And then I took him to this passage. He said, Pastor, God called me to this place. Well, I saw him about two years later. He had a church of about 250, 
He said, Pastor, it was really slow. And he said, to be honest, we went down before we started coming back up. He said, but when people would ask me, I would just say, it's not true. I don't know why people have lied like that about me. But he said, I never stood up in the pulpit and defended myself like you taught me. I just preached the gospel. There's a young man who did it right. He took less fruit at the beginning, but he was willing to stay there and finish the purpose that God had for him in that city. To me, that's, to me, that's one of the great, great stories that, that I ever saw of a young man living right and doing right. And notice, when you'll take a little less fruit and you're willing to face the criticism and the lies, okay, sometimes as preachers, you just got to take a punch and face the lies, God will bear witness to the word of his grace. Now, God doesn't bear witness to you. He bears witness to the word of his grace. Ah, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So the more people lie about you, if you will stop with the self-justification, stop with the trying to tell the truth and tell the other side of the story, you're going to stop with it. You'll see even more miracles as God bears witness to the word of his grace. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, they, they can team up when they want to, with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycanea, to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, sometimes it does come a time to leave. You know, sometimes you live to preach another day. You know, we've, we've never faced times like that in the Philippines, so it's, it's hard for us to comprehend it because we have such incredible religious freedom here. Well, Pastor, we can't have church right now. Well, you know, that has nothing to do with religious freedom, all right? That has to do with we don't want to be like other nations with 50,000 people dead. But sometimes you live to preach another day, and Paul knew the wisdom of when to stay, and Paul knew the wisdom of when to leave. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Was passing by one day There was a man who was afflicted But he had the faith to say If I could ever get to Jesus My healing will be the proof If I can get through the door I'll tear off the roof Cause there's a healer in the house today There's a healer in the house today For you that wants to make a way just ask and believe by faith we see Healer in the house today There's a healer in the house today And for you he wants to make a way Just ask and believe by faith we see Healer in the house today Now if you're sick or you're feeling lonely I have good news to bring For this healer his name is Jesus And he the king of all kings. He rides in the wings of mercy and the ceiling in his wings. So take the roof of a top, let your faith come out. Cause there's a healer in the house today. There's a healer in the house today. And for you, he wants to make a way. Just ask and believe my faith received. Healer in the house today. There's a healer in the house today. For you, he wants to make a way. Just ask and believe my faith received. Healer in the house today. Healer in the house. Healer in the house. Healer in the 
wants to heal your body. He, loves he wants to heal your soul. He loves Jesus, Savior, today. There's a healer in the house today. And for you, he wants to make a way. Just ask and believe by faith. Healer in the house today. There's a healer in the house today. And for you, he wants to make a way. Just ask and believe by faith we see. Healer in the house today. Healer in the house today. And for you, he wants to make a way. Just ask and believe by faith we Just ask by faith we see All right, today we are going to finish Second Kings. I mean, we, we made a lot of progress. Are you enjoying reading through the Old Testament also? There are so many stories, and the, the Bible is clear. All of these things are written to us as our examples, things not to do and things to do. So let's pick up with chapter 23, verse 36. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebediah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all his fathers had done. Now remember, Israel, the ten northern tribes, are gone. The king of the ten tribes is gone. And now we are just left with Judah and parts of Benjamin. Jehoiakim is the king. And still he sees what has happened to the ten tribes. And this guy doesn't want to live right. I mean, he has ancestors that have done what was right in the eyes of God. He has ancestors that have been horribly sinful. He chooses to follow the sinful ones. Chapter 24, verse 1. In his days, in the days of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans and bands of Syrians and bands of Moabites and bands of Ammonites, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord, to remove them out of his sight, for the sins of Manasseh, according to all he had done. Now, stop there for a minute. Now, notice, God not only remembers the righteous King David, God remembers Manasseh for generations now. Manasseh, because he changed the culture of a nation. And as he changed that culture of a nation to evil, Josiah came along and tried to do what was right, but it was kind of difficult to change the people. So you can do things right and people don't change. But then he continues. For the sins that Manasseh had done, according to all he had done, and also for the innocent blood that he had shed, and filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not pardon. Got to stop a dog for a minute. For the Lord would not pardon. Now, notice the word innocent blood. I look upon nations of the world right now with abortion. The, this is the blood of the innocents. Those children did nothing wrong. Those children never asked to be conceived. 
Those children were innocent. And the innocent blood has been shed. I, I cannot imagine the judgment of God that must come upon nations for the millions of children that have had their innocent blood shed with abortions. Now, let's straight talk about something for a minute. I've been your pastor for 40 years. I've seen a lot of young people make mistakes. And I've seen how families respond. I've seen how some families go, you know what? Sweetheart, you made a mistake. You really messed up. But we're in this together. And I've watched that family take care of their daughter, not be ashamed of their daughter, raise that child as a part of the family. I've watched other families decide they want the child to be adopted out. But you know, then once in a while you see a family that says, no, no, our daughter has a great future. We're going to have an abortion so that she can still have her future. Not knowing the incredible wound that is going to come to her heart. She, she will celebrate and remember that child for the rest of her life. And she will remember what she did. So when a young lady gets pregnant and there's no husband, I sit down with a young lady. And some of the first words I always say to her is, young lady, I want to compliment you. And they always look at me like, what? I said, you made a mistake. What you did was wrong. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you? Yes, Pastor. Well, now, also understand that you've done a lot of good decisions. You made a bad decision, but you've done a lot of good decisions since then. You've made a decision to take care of this baby. You've made a decision to not terminate this baby's life. You've made a decision to honor an immortal soul, life that has been conceived in your womb. Now, if you're a young lady and you're listening to me this morning and you're pregnant and you're not married, I salute you. You made a bad decision, yes, but you've asked God to forgive you. And there is grace and mercy. But you've made a lot of good decisions since then. Now, some of you, you're going to want to raise that child. Some of you, you're going to want to adopt that child. And there'll be a family in the church, for instance, that doesn't have a baby. And they don't know why they don't have a baby. But God has that baby for them. And they will raise that child and love that child for the rest of their lives. You say, well, will anybody really love them? Have you ever watched me and Sister Bev with Pastor A? That should answer your question. Now let's go on. I know I got to digress there for a moment, but the, the innocent blood, I mean, the, these nations that so easily abort babies, I, the innocent blood is, gonna, is crying out to God, all right? And I'm not a big preacher of judgment, all right? You know me. I'm a, I'm a grace guy. But the, the innocent blood, the, the, the cries of the unborn, he filled Jerusalem with the innocent blood, and the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Now remember, it was the king of Egypt who first conquered Judah. Okay, now Babylon conquers Egypt. Verse 8. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. Now, now you've heard me teach this a hundred times through here. Don't do things because they're family culture. 
get your culture from God. Young men, young women, please honor your parents for the rest of your life, but do not follow their sinful ways. You know, you, you will honor them with all of your life, but you don't follow their sinful ways. You have to make a choice to serve and follow God. Verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, went up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon himself, and his mother, and his servants, and his officials, and his palace officers. And the king of Babylon took him prisoner in the 18th year of his reign, and carried off all the treasures. Now here's a sad passage. All the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king's palace. And they cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord. So you're talking about the golden lampstand. You're talking about the table of showbread. You're talking about the altar of incense, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had made, as the Lord had foretold. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. Now, you want to know how to impoverish a nation. This is called brain drain. Do you remember in the 80s, all of our brightest and best left us and went to build the Middle East, went to build America, went to build Europe, went to build New Zealand, went to build Australia? This is how you impoverish a nation. You only leave the poorest people of the land. You take all the craftsmen, the smiths, the intelligentsia, the you take all the greatness out of a nation. If you're listening to me and you're one of our Kababayan, maybe you're in London going through all the racial things there right now. Maybe you're in America going through all the racial things there right now. <laughs> and like one of our, our members emailed me the other day. They said, Pastor, people don't know what to call us. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, white people think that we're colored, and colored people think that we're white. I said, you look at them both and say, no, no, we were perfectly cooked by God. We're, we're, the, we're the perfect ones, all right? Now, we, we, we laugh and we joke about it, but the racial prejudice is just, you know, everybody forgets that we all have red blood, you know? Everybody forgets you take your skin off and we all look alike. I mean, goodness gracious, have mercy. But maybe this is the day for our best and our brightest to begin to return home. We have the resources of one of the wealthiest nations in the world. You do realize that. The Philippines is not a poor nation. Our resources make us one of the richest nations in the world. Maybe it's time for one of our greatest resources, our talented ones, to come back home and build our land in Jesus' name. Ah. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and metals workers, 1,000 of them all strong and fit for war. And the, and the king of Babylon made Methaniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Verse 18. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. Now, how is a 21-year-old the uncle of... <laughs> Don't ask. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You think somebody would learn, you know? According to all that Jehoiachin had done. For because of the anger of 
For because of the anger of the Lord, it became to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out of his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Chapter 25, verse 1. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. Now, some of you, you look at this and you go, this is just a little city. But you must understand, Jerusalem was an incredible fortress. Okay? I mean, when you study the, the military advantages of defending Jerusalem and you understand you know, the, the, the Jebusites that lived there before King David conquered it said, this is an unconquerable place. And David conquered it by going in through the well. The fortified walls surrounded by the valleys. I mean, this was very difficult to take this city. So you wonder why Nebuchadnezzar would bring up his whole army? Because Jerusalem is a very difficult city to capture. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So two-year siege. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden, though the Chaldeans were all around the city. And they went in the direction of Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. Now, you wonder the way they took. If you're in Jerusalem and you go out and you hang a left and go down that road to Jericho, that was the path down the hills that they took. And they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord. So evidently Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to stop this. Never again will I have to go up there and do this again. So he sent his captain. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house. Now remember, they've already taken everything out of it. And the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. They leveled the city. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Now that's a lot of hard work, but they broke down the walls. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebzardan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. Again, this is how you destroy a nation. You take out every person of value, every person who can build something, and you only leave the poorest. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands of the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, these were the ones that Josiah put back in place, remember, that Manasseh had messed around with? The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the stuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service, and the fire pans also in the bowls. What was of gold, the captain of the guard took away as gold. What was of silver, as silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea and the stands that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of these vessels was beyond weight. 
The height of one pillar, now these are the pillars that Solomon made. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits and on it a capital of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits. The lattice work and pomegranates, all the bronze around the capital. And the second pillar had the same with the lattice work. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and five men of the king's council that were found in the city, and the secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Ribia. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Ribla in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. And now all twelve tribes have been dispersed. Verse 22, and over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had left, he appointed Jedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, governor. Now when all the captains and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Jedaliah governor, they came with their men to Jedaliah at Mitzvah, namely Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, and Jananan, the son of Kariah, and Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, the Netopazite and Jedaniah, the son of Mahaket. And Jedaniah swore to them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid because of the Chaldean officials. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. But the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nephaniah, the son of Ishamah, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Jedaniah and put him to death along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mitzvah. Now, this is a guy who wants a fight. He thinks he should be king. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captain of the forces rose and went to Egypt, but they were afraid of the Chaldeans. The last remnants are now gone from the land. Verse 27. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, the king of Babylon, in that year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So, you know, they captured the kings and then had them sit at their table, all right? But Jehoiachin had been in prison all this time. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Now, Say, Pastor, why did that happen? Because even in judgment, God shows mercy. Now, that's one of the things, brothers and sisters, that some of you just need to get a hold of. God is a holy God. And people do reap what they have sowed, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. God is not Mac. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But at the same time, God is a God of mercy. And if you look at your life right now and you'd say, Pastor, something wrong, you know, there's some really nasty stuff coming down the pipe for me. Why don't you just quit trying to justify yourself? And why do you quit trying to, to act as if nothing's gone wrong? Why don't you humble yourself before God? Ask his forgiveness. With God, there is always mercy. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.